Matt, it's only podcast 33. I don't think it's 33, is it? <laughs> <laughs> is it 32? <laughs> yes, it's 32. Ah, oh, dang, let me start again. Matt? The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Matt, it's podcast 32. 32? What what a show we have this week. We are interviewing Robert D. Richards, or Bob Richards, the legend from Moon Express, Inc. So just to give a bit of background, um, Bob Richards is a Canadian-born space entrepreneur. He is co-founder and CEO of Moon Express, Inc., a US company awarded the 10 million commercial lunar contract by NASA and a competitor, I believe, one of five left in the Google Lunar oh, X wow. Prize. And uh, one of my favourite things is that he founded the International Space University, which quite a lot of the fellows from the British Interplanetary Society uh, work at as well. Absolutely. Uh, uh, together with Todd B. Hawley and one of my heroes, Peter Diamandis. Yes. Uh, not only that, he then has set up uh, the Singularity University with Peter Diamandis and, as you know, one of my massive heroes, uh-huh. Ray Kurzweil. Of course. Yeah, ever since the uh, K2 5000 synth. Oh, uh, yeah, big time. Uh, yeah, it's all right. You don't really want to hear about that. Uh, one of the things I love is the Singularity Hub. I get so much really cool information from that. And, Absolutely. Uh, I just love that whole techno-optimism vibe. It's so cool. And definitely check out moonexpress.com if you haven't already. And just check out, because it's not just about the, you know, the Google X Prize. That's a mere slither of what they're up to and what they're planning to do. It's so exciting. Um, and and it's, it's uber exciting because we already spoke to him last week, but we had a few technical problems. So we've had to uh, reschedule for this week. However, it's given us the extra time to really delve into um, to, to Bob's work and Moon Express's work. And it's so exciting. So we're we're really happy to have him back on the show. Thankfully, he's a lovely chap and he's agreed to come and do this again. So, um, yeah. yeah. I tell you what, I should Joy. definitely mention that while he was at Cornell University, oh, yeah. he became assistant to Carl Sagan. What? And at the moment, Bob chairs the Space Commerce Committee of the Commercial Space Flight Federation. He serves on the board of the Space Federation Foundation and is a member of the International Institute of Space Law and as director of the Optech Space Division from 2002 to 2009, Bob led the company's technology into orbit and to the surface of Mars aboard the NASA Phoenix lander. I'm worried... I'm worried that Bob hasn't achieved enough in he, his life. He's very much like us, though, isn't he, Jamie? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really incredible, and um, we can't wait to kind of throw some questions at him and get get some get some more deeps. Jamie, can I? I'm going to just stop yeah. you there. Let's just let's just let's get on with the interview. Let's let's do it. Today we are joined on the podcast by a very special guest over in Cape Canaveral. Bob Richards, founder and CEO of Moon Express. So, welcome, Bob. Uh, 
Can you start us off by telling us a little bit more about Moon Express? Oh, absolutely, and it's great. Uh, it's great to be on the show, um, guys. And as, as you know, I'm uh, I'm a, actually a Canadian, so I'm part of the Commonwealth. <laughs> Good to and, know. Uh, so Moon Express, you know, it it really is uh, you know part of my lifetime dream is to help humanity become a multi-world species, and and Moon Express is playing a role in that. Uh, by reaching for the moon uh, with uh, entrepreneurial and private sector investment um, to open up its resources for the benefit of our life on Earth, but I think more importantly in the long term, our future in space. And the moon is uh, is like the eighth continent of Earth. So we're like the early explorers just trying to find out how to get there, find out what's there, find out how to use it, how to live off the land and to move the economic sphere of Earth outward to the moon and help us become a multi-world species. Fantastic. That is, uh, is, it's amazing to hear. And we know that uh, a lot of people will will recognize Moon Express because of the Google X Prize, Bob. Can you tell us a little bit about how the Google X Prize came about and and what your chances of meeting the uh, December 2017 deadline are? Sure, sure, absolutely. So, so even though even though the uh, the ideas behind Moon Express and its business plans predate the competition, uh, when the competition arose, we were you know just delighted to sign up. It's uh, you know part of a our early revenue uh, plan. It's just great to have a, a a great company like Google who thinks it's important to reach for the moon, and the sure. competition has inspired uh, people all over the world. Not necessarily those that are you know, have, are, have, are that experience with space travel, but boy, you know, you get that type of goal in mind and who knows what, who might come up with the next amazing idea that was unlike anything that came before. So uh, the competition has been, uh, has been good for the company, uh, for sure. Um, we, it offers, uh, you know, not the least of which is a $20 million grand prize, uh, for the first, uh, privately funded, uh, organization uh, to put a robotic lander on the surface of the moon, uh, send back high definition video and images, and to do that again from at least 500 meters away. So there's a there's an interesting mobility component to the competition, uh, which fits in very well with our our uh, our technical plans, which which are to provide <laughs> mobility on the moon. You know, the most expensive part of getting into space is the launch. So once you once you're past that, you know you want to get as much kind of bang for your buck. Well, you don't want to have bang, but you want to get as much <laughs> <laughs> you want to get as much use, uh, you, you know, efficiency out of the mission as possible. So we had always planned um, to get in as much exploration of the moon as we could with one single launch, and that means uh, the ability for the spacecraft to be able to relocate itself. You can think of it as a a moon drone. That's able to relaunch after landing, relaunch itself again from the surface of the moon and fly across the surface to other locations on the moon and and do more exploration. So, a lot of uh, a lot of um, uh, competitors and 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 people watching the Google Lunar X Prize have presumed that it's a kind of a rover competition. And, and rovers are are I, I guess it's a natural presumption because rovers. Um, are in the in the public's eye on Mars, and and they they're they're doing great. They can do great things, 
Um, we've never seen it. At, uh, we ourselves have never seen the Google and Rex Prize as a rover competition. The competition itself has never specified the way that you accomplish that mobility. So our view is, why crawl when you can fly? You know, we've we've <laughs> we've flown 250,000 miles, or I guess we're talking. Uh, uh, can I? I guess I can talk kilometers, right? In this show, sure. so we've we've flown almost 400,000 kilometers to the moon. I think we can travel another 500 meters, and and that's <laughs> that's, that's the way we we uh, we we hope to accomplish that component and win the grand prize of the Google and Rex Prize. So, is one of the plans to hop around and visit the uh, the Heritage Apollo landing sites? And if so, is there a contingency plan to protect those, for want of a better word, uh, World Heritage sites? That's a great question because actually one of the one of the bonus prizes in the competition, the competition is a, actually a $30 million competition, uh, U.S. dollars, uh, with a $20 million grand prize, as, as I explained. But also there's a $5 million second prize for the second team, if there is one, to do the same thing. But there are $5 million in bonus prizes to do various things. One of them uh, is to image a heritage site like an Apollo uh, spacecraft or, or other um, uh, human heritage artifacts on the moon, uh, which could be a robotic explorer from either the Soviet Union or, or the United States or something that's there on the moon. So it's, it raises an interesting, very interesting question because not all those, not all that hardware on the moon is equal, right? So if you consider the Apollo 11 landing site, for instance, that is not just a U.S. national heritage site. That's a world heritage site, right? That's, yes. that's a monument to human achievement that nobody should mess with. And uh, it should be for all of time, right, hallowed ground. Uh, and, and, but if you say, well, what about that, you know, that rocket stage that crashed over there uh, during one of the uh, robotic missions? Does that matter as much? Probably not. So there, there's a degree to which uh, the, the artifacts on the moon need to be respected. NASA itself actually put out some guidelines, believe it or not. <laughs> okay. Around uh, 2011, uh, NASA became quite convinced, uh, not the least of which because of the existence of the Google and Rex Prize and so many companies like Moon Express and others uh, talking about going to the moon commercially. They started to become concerned about, well, wait a second, you know, um, maybe we should put out some guidelines about how we – would like people to treat our heritage sites and our and our and, and our artifacts in the moon, and they put out a, a white paper which was really um, it was addressed to all spacefaring entities, which was really interesting because I guess that includes aliens. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, to uh, to kind of uh, respect our stuff, um, uh, don't get too close. Uh, not everything is is of really great concern but certainly the obvious things like the apollo sites are so so we interpreted that as um as a, a really important document that also uh bestows reciprocity so you know now now commercial and private companies are going to be putting things in the moon i think if moon express becomes the first private company to put a spacecraft on the moon i think that site is going to be a heritage site and very important for humanity as an example of entrepreneurship beyond earth orbit um, so, uh, we will respect other people's stuff. We, uh, 
So, Bob, could you tell us a little bit about the rocket that you're going to go up on? Um, of course, you know, that seems fascinating in itself. And, you know, we've heard things about 3D technology being used, etc. Um, could you elaborate on that? And, and, and will Moon Express be the first flight from New Zealand? Uh, good question. So uh, we're talking about uh, Rocket Lab, uh, which is a, a, uh, another startup. So we have, you know, Moon Express, a startup betting on another startup, which is an interesting uh, choice, I would think. Uh, Rocket Lab is an amazing company, and and they they arose a few years ago under the leadership of uh, Peter Beck, who's uh, not a newcomer to to rocket technology, has been really developing and building and flying rockets all his life. And uh, Rocket Lab is is backed by um, uh, very well recognized and venerable uh, VCs uh, from Silicon Valley. Uh, they have their, uh, they introduced a rocket called the Electron, uh, which had a goal of completely shattering the, uh, traditional costs of launch. So whereas, um, um, SpaceX, uh, shattered really the, the cost of getting to, uh, higher, uh, higher orbits, um, with their, their Falcon series of rockets, Rocket Lab has introduced a very low cost launcher that's capable of sending small payloads to low earth orbit and uh, they advertise a price of 4.9 million dollars us so you can go to their website and put a rocket in your shopping cart for 4.9 million <laughs> and uh, that's to us that was a great deal <laughs> so we so we contracted for five of them uh with uh with three launches between 2017 and 2020 um, and uh, they are ready to launch their first test launch uh, of the Electron. Uh, they will undergo three test launches, which is a fairly traditional number for new rockets. It takes, a, it takes some time to get it right. It's a very hard business. Uh, then we'll begin the operational launches, and uh, we expect to be – we won't be the first. Um, you know, I don't mind betting on a startup, but I, I don't want to be the first on a, on a new rocket. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we will be among the first ten. Um, flights, and uh, I'm confident that Rocket Lab will be uh, very successful and rapidly becoming an operational company, and that we will have a spacecraft on top of one of their launch vehicles by the end of this year. Fantastic. Wow. We better get them on the show soon. Uh, as you know, uh, I caught the Heathrow Express the other day, and that name, Heathrow Express, obviously resonates very much with Moon Express. And I was wondering, is that really one of your plans to set up a commuter route between Earth and the eighth continent, as you call it, the Moon? Well, absolutely. You'll have to make a connection, you know, uh, probably at Heathrow to the Moon Express. And uh, <laughs> 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 But that is, that is absolutely the philosophy, that uh, we really do want to set up a a, uh, a dependable, low-cost express route to the moon. Uh, first, of course, for robotic landers, the idea that humans will eventually go to the moon is inevitable. Uh, that's beyond our current event horizon. If, if we define the event horizon of you know at least five years or ten, um, uh, sending humans to the moon will absolutely happen, and 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 very soon. Uh, but uh, very soon in the context of you know five, ten years. So what what kind of in-flight snacks do you uh, do do you envision yourself having on on the Moon Express uh, commute well, to the Moon? You know this is very important, of course. I, yeah. <laughs> well, certainly uh, moon cheese. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe moon water martinis would be yeah. 
now it's certainly boom tea you know for our our uk friends (laughs) Um, and uh and i'm not sure what the moon crumpets will taste like but we'll see Oh, well, uh, we look forward to those. So we know that uh, the FAA gave approval for Moon Express to land on the moon. Can you can you tell us about the process of that? It, it, that's a great question. And part of part of the challenge was there was no process. So so it's an it, it was an interesting it was an interesting situation that we were in. Uh, in if we just roll up the calendar back a bit to 2015. Um, no, no private company, no private spacecraft has ever left Earth orbit to go to the moon or anywhere else. It's always been government spacecraft. So so it would be like uh, um, only government airlines have ever flown internationally or across the Atlantic and, and, and private aircraft have only, you know, stayed around their their local airports. So there is there is absolutely no framework for a private company. Uh, to be able to leave Earth orbit and go to the moon. Well, you know, who, why do you need a license to go to the moon? Well, um, there's something called the Outer Space Treaty. That's that's really a thing. Uh, it 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 arose in the in the 60s uh, during the Cold War era. It was signed uh, 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 formally by the United States and the Soviet Union at that time, and and by 100 countries since that governs the activity of humans in space. Um, as represented by the nation states, and uh, the United States is a is a signatory to that treaty, a main signatory to that treaty, and by the terms of that treaty, needs to be able to authorize and supervise. Those are the terms in the treaty. Um, any activity that starts within its national sovereign domain and goes into space. So that means us too. But there was no Department of the Moon for us to go to and ask for permission to go to the moon. We had to make up that process, and we worked with the U.S. government, with the White House and the FAA, and NASA and DOD and uh, and and the, and and NOAA and all these agencies, these federal agencies that all had a say in what happens in space. The challenge was each one of these agencies um, has the right to say no to a launch license, but not one of them had the authority to say yes to a private company that wanted to go outside the Earth orbit. So we worked through that process and came up with a way for the U.S. government uh, to give us approval, and they did. On July 20th of 2016, we became the first company, not just in the United States, but in the world, to receive the required authorization by the governing government uh, for a mission beyond Earth orbit in the world. Incredible. Incredible. So now you've got this permission to go to the moon and exploit it what do you think is going to be the first really big commercial payoff for moon express what what's going to turn you into the exxon mobile uh, as it were of the moon well that's a great that's a great question so we you know our long-term vision is to explore and eventually unlock and utilize the resources of the moon and what what are the resources of the moon well there's trillions quadrillions of of dollars of minerals and, and rare earth elements and platinum group metals and everything that's important to us on Earth uh, is there on the moon, too, because it was bombarded by asteroids in the early days, just like the Earth was, that deposited all of these minerals and very important elements. The, the, the issue is it's, it's, um, it's, it's way up there um, in the sky. Uh, it's, uh, it looks like a long way away, but actually it's only about three days away. So if you were looking at the moon as an eighth continent, not unlike the Americas looked, let's say, to 
to uh, the UK and Europe uh, in the 1600s. It was a few days away. It was a dangerous journey. You had to navigate by the sun and the stars. Uh, there was not much there when you got there. That's where we are with lunar exploration. So we need to learn how to collapse the cost of transportation to get there. That's the first challenge. So we begin our, our life as a company, as a transportation company, to lay the track, right, to build that railway to the moon. And once we've done that, um, we will then identify the resources. But the, the real game changer that makes the economics of lunar resources work is the discovery of water on the moon, which is very recent. Only in the last 20 years have we has the evidence grown, and then finally, um, uh, um, absolute um, data that shows that the water on the moon is in abundance and collected at the poles in various uh, probably icy forms. And that water um, is water is like the oil of the solar system because it's hydrogen and oxygen, the H2O. Uh, can be utilized for rocket fuel. So that makes the moon a gas station in the sky and changes the economics, not just of lunar resources, but access to the rest of the solar system. I was just wondering, with the recent uh, announcement of the Deep Space Gateway, is that something that's come up on your radar? Is that something that's, uh, that's of, of interest? Oh, absolutely. So, so, so these thoughts, the Deep Space Gateway, uh, extending infrastructure beyond low earth orbit because we've been really stuck in low earth orbit for a long time right uh, the the only time humans went beyond earth orbit was during the apollo program mm. so right and, and that's a long time ago so the idea that the united states and other countries are going to start building infrastructure in what we call cis lunar space and that just really means the ocean of space between the earth and the moon um is great because that gateway uh, uh is really like a port Right. It's a port that allows access to the rest of the solar system. And that'll be important. Uh, the moon will become uh, a, a great resource for such a gateway. Um, it's much more economical. Once you have the transportation systems in place to the moon, it's much more economical to bring stuff off the surface of the moon than to try to launch them out of the very deep gravity well of Earth. Right. Absolutely. So, Bob, if you had to write down a list now of bullet points with your top three challenges, what would you say those challenges were and how are you planning to overcome them? That's a great question. So the and, and that and, and if you'd asked me that, you know, at the beginning of the company, I would have put uh, financing as number one. Yeah, uh, we're, we're on we're on because uh, it's usually it's financing and technology and people. Those, those are the those are you, those are the top three challenges of any startup, whether you're going into space or not. Sure. So financing, we're in, good, we're in a good place there. We're on very solid ground, thanks to our great investors. Uh, we're fully funded for our first uh, maiden mission, and we'll be transitioning to um, a, you know uh, to revenue based uh, operations. Uh, following that, we expect to be profitable from our first mission forward. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We've got our regulatory. Uh, that was the biggest challenge. If you asked me that question a year ago, it would have been regulatory because we didn't have a way to even get to the moon. Um, and now we do. Uh, so now it's now it's mostly technical, and right. uh, we we are uh, have a, a very innovative uh, spacecraft design. Uh, it's a robot that can, uh, from Earth orbit, fly through space, right, uh, and land on the moon. And that's a that robot has to be very capable 
um, the, the humans can't arrive in you know in minutes and save it. You know, it's got to make a lot of its own decisions itself, particularly in the last um, few minutes of the descent to the moon and the landing. All of that has to be done by the robot itself, and uh, so getting that right is is uh, only superpowers have done that before. And uh, is so, there anywhere that we can see images of the robot yet, or is that still kind of under wraps? Well, you can see images of our of our um, so the robot. So we we introduced uh, the MX one robotic spacecraft in 2013 14. Uh, that's the, the the images are out there on the web. It's kind of a toroidal um, uh, structure, tro- meaning like a donut, and uh, uh, it's des- it and and it's that configuration is designed to be a secondary. Well, it's designed to be able to hitchhike on a large rocket with a mm. primary customer going somewhere. It's like sitting in the backseat of an Uber, and somebody else has paid most of the uh, most of the fare. Right. Uh, our new configuration of the MX One, which we call the MX One E, um, is specifically configured to fit in the Electron launcher, which is a relatively small launch vehicle. That vehicle, we are yet to unveil. We'll be unveiling that uh, fairly shortly, so stay tuned. And uh, and uh, we're really excited about it, and uh, we know you guys will, uh, will, will be excited when you see it as well. I oh, can't wait to see it. Uh, Incredible. Abs- absolutely. Uh, the one thing we have heard a lot about recently is this shift back to the moon and the exploitation of the moon. Uh, and particularly with commercial uh, ventures, of which I think Moon Express is very much a major player. Uh, with this exploitation of the moon, do you think that's now on a Kurzweilian Moore Law type growth and that we're on that steep edge of the exponential curve and we're going to see an explosion in moon activity? I love the question and I love the way you framed it. And uh, and it does speak to our origins. Uh, moon Express really grew out of uh, uh, Singularity University and uh, I was involved with uh, Ray Kurzweil and Peter Diamandis and others in founding that institution, and and absolutely we are riding an exponential wave of technology, and and this is why we can even attempt to send a spacecraft to the moon because you know the, the technologies that are in our spacecraft didn't even exist a few years ago, right? The the the, the, the rapid change of technology and the acceleration is collapsing what used to be hardware into software, right? It's dematerializing hardware. And that makes much smaller, lighter weight spacecraft that can be launched on smaller rockets. And and that leads to kind of the same thing that CubeSats did to democratize access to low Earth orbit. Uh, The exponential curve is going to extend that democratization to the moon. So we are riding that curve. And we are at just the beginning of it, the beginning of an era that will open up space to all of us. I'm so super excited. <laughs> I know. It's so exciting. I, I, and I've got every, every time you speak, I have another 10 questions, which, of course, I won't ask them all. However, um, one of the things we wanted to speak about was uh, colonizing the moon. So, Bob, in your head, do you I mean, obviously, there'll be work going on with with mining, etc. And uh, the commercial aspect of people visiting. But do you ever see a time where you will be involved with um people just just average people being able to live um on the moon i mean do you see that becoming a thing uh, well, well absolutely i mean and, and I, I i so when i was a kid i used to look at space and think wow wouldn't it be cool to go there and maybe maybe i might have a chance of going to space well i know i'm going to space now i just have to buy a ticket 
Hmm. Um, so I have the same view of the moon. Maybe I'll actually go to the moon, you know, and uh, and I think that's true. And and if, and if you have any, you know, teenage kids, um, they're going to get to the moon, and the moon is going to become not just part of our economic sphere, but part of our social sphere. And the and 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 a generation of kids is is going to look up and see lights on the moon, and and th- and think of the difference in in the in 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 the worldview of children who look look up and see lights on the moon and know that we actually are are not are part of a multi world species and and mm-hmm. and Earth is not just the limits of what we can do, right? So that is a future that not only I believe in I've been working toward all my life and that Moon Express will play a role in you know. So, so Moon Express is not just transportation to and from the moon. It's going to be your transportation network on the moon, right? So we're going to have colonies and outposts all over the moon eventually. And people are, up, are going to want to get around. And, uh, and you're going to want to get that, uh, that, that delivery real fast, right? Whether it's a, an instrument or a hamburger, right? <laughs> and that's a Moon Express, <laughs> moon Express will be part, part of all of that. That that leads really nicely into my uh, question. I did want to ask uh, my son George, who uh, is the voice at the beginning of this podcast. He's thirteen and he's hugely into space. In fact, he's just finished building a, a Saturn V. What's your advice to him and people of his age so that they can follow in in your footsteps? That you know that uh, because you've been a real trailblazer in new space. And we uh, just wanted to know what your key advice would be. Well, hi, George, and and uh, boy, is this ever going to be an exciting era? And and the one thing that uh, you know, as young people uh, who are growing up and looking at what's happening, the advice is never never allow anybody to tell you that your dreams are not possible. Right? Think bold and and, and reinvent a world that you believe you want to live in, because the tools are now at your disposal. You have the power of what a president of the United States did only 20 years ago in your pocket. You know, you have the information at your disposal and you have an amazing amount of capability and connectivity to everyone on the planet. So um, I think it's a wonderful world for George and, and other people of his generation to grow up in. And uh, I really look forward to seeing what, uh, what they're going to invent uh, with, uh, with the future. That's awesome. So one thing that we couldn't leave without talking about is um, one of our heroes, Carl Sagan, and we know that you you worked with him, Bob. What what was that like? It was uh, it was amazing, and and it really ties into uh, he was so influential on me, uh, as was um, Arthur C. Clarke. So and and I think you guys are connected to the British Interplanetary Society, which is really founded by. Arthur and some of his buddies in a in a pub, <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, this is how it happens. It's uh, it's one generation inspiring the next. So uh, uh, it was uh, it was Carl's uh, brilliant uh, program, Cosmos, that really was pivotal in my life. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's, and, and but I had the great privilege of of uh, being able to uh, change my course in life and. And seek seek him out as a as a teacher, uh, and uh, uh, was able to study with him at uh, Cornell University in my graduate work, and and uh, was very fortunate to become his special assistant. Uh, it was fantastic to have one of your heroes uh, become one of your mentors, friends, and teachers, 
And I've been very fortunate in that realm. Um, Arthur C. Clarke, uh, Gerard O'Neill, uh, many of the Apollo astronauts. And, uh, and, and, and so it's a wonderful world uh, when those people who so inspire you can become you know, part of your life and you part of theirs. And uh, I, I still miss him, uh, but thank gosh uh, he lived at a time that we could capture um, uh, him and what, and his thoughts, uh, on video. And, and, and I'm still, I'm still, sh- uh, uh, sh- shocked and awed by how many in younger generations, uh, know him or know of him. Mm. And, and it's how powerful one individual can be in influencing so many others. You're absolutely right. What a body of work that he's left for people to delve into and be inspired by. Incredible. An amazing, amazing life. Yeah, it's 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 really good, and I think you're taking uh, his philosophy forward, and I actually think he'd be really proud of what you've done. That's quite a compliment. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us, Bob. That's been a, a really fascinating interview. There's so many things to talk about and to think about. It's been a really, really memorable interview. Thank you so much for giving us your time yeah thank you for your time we know it's it's of uh, of great value so thank you for giving us giving us a shot it's been fun uh, uh, enjoyable and we'll see you on the moon <laughs> Brilliant. see you on the moon bob Cheers, bye, bye guys we hope that you enjoyed that as much as we did i mean i think you'll agree one absolutely lovely and super fascinating guy along with what moon express are doing it's just isn't it isn't it really heartwarming matt that there are people and companies out there doing this kind of thing do you know what i've met so many really cool people who are really into space in the last few weeks it's it is really really heart heartwarming it's such a great time <clears throat> for space at the moment and i think um bob's bob's absolutely right there's going to be yes. a, a great era in space coming up it's going to be just brilliant and to take from um, Bob's words, part, we're part of the space generation, which is it's really exciting because like we said last week, Matt, you'd never know what is going to happen week to week when we speak. We don't know what plans are in, in, in place. It's not predictable in the slightest. And long may that continue. Absolutely. Now, so if you've enjoyed this uh, show, don't forget to subscribe and leave lovely comments. You know what to do. Subscribe. <laughs> do it now. Subscribe. Give us a, have, I'll tell you what, you could, even, you could even give us a retweet. Definitely retweet. Yeah, 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 big time. So remember to go to interplanetary.org.uk where you will find all about the interplanetary podcast so until next time take care now goodbye